Have you ever found yourself obsessing over what's for lunch while you're still eating breakfast? Or maybe you're constantly negotiating with your inner voice asking, am I hungry? I'm not sure. I, I think maybe I'm hungry. But even if I'm not hungry, I know I want something. And those thoughts in your head just won't give you a break. And that's just the mental chatter. Then there's also fear. Fear of hunger. So many of us are afraid to feel hunger and for valid reasons. And there's the more subtle but persistent fears about what if I never lose weight? Or what if I fail again? What if I do lose weight and start attracting unwanted attention? And what if I gain the weight back? Why do we let our minds run wild with food and fear thoughts turning them into this like never-ending mental marathon. Today, we're talking about mental chatter. Why it is so normal, and it's not your fault that your brain ruminates on these thoughts. And we're going to explore ways to turn down the volume in your brain and make those food thoughts just no big deal. But here's the real puzzler. What if fear wasn't something to dread? What if it's more like a friendly, albeit a little bit quirky, companion on your weight loss journey. In this episode, we're going to show how fear can become your ally and not your adversary. So you ready to unravel the mystery of why we're so afraid of fear itself and how we can turn it into an ally? Oh yeah, let's get to it. Do you ever feel like you know all the diet rules about eat this, but not that, and so you know what to do, but you just have a hard time actually doing it? I'm here to tell you, you are not the problem. Hi, I'm Lizzie. Welcome to the Confident Body Podcast, where we talk about all the mental and emotional parts of weight loss that diets don't tell you. It's time to step past the shame and the guilt from old diets and stop feeling like you're waiting to lose weight in order to fully participate in life. If you're ready to drop the diet mindset and learn what it takes to truly feel happy and confident in your own skin, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Well, hi there. Welcome back. I am so appreciative that you are here. I know that you've got busy things going on in your life and it is a big deal that you're here. And I just want to let you know, I appreciate you. Thank you. So let's get to it, shall we? Today, we're talking about mental chatter and fear. Ugh. Why, 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 why do our brains do this to us? So we're going to talk about how, like, of course, it is just the natural evolution of how our brains are wired. But let's let's get on the diet train for a second, because nobody loves diets. And I, in particular, really dislike diets because there's all the stuff that it messes us up with. But it also makes us question ourselves. All those things we've done in the past, whether it was Weight Watchers or shakes or keto or paleo, yada, yada, yada. They have all these rules. And so when you try something and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, then you try something else. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. There's so many different approaches that when you get to a place where you're like, I've tried all the things, I I just don't know how, I don't know what my body needs, that makes you question yourself and you worry about what should I eat? Like how many macros, how many grams of protein do I need each day? So-and-so says it's 120. So-and-so says it should only be 30, blah, blah, blah. So you wonder what you should eat. You wonder when you should eat. Like, should I have breakfast? Should I fast? What if I'm hungry before I go to bed? Can I eat? And then there's 
even the like, am I allowed to eat? You know, I've, I've used up my points for the day or I've used up my calories, but I'm still hungry. Or then of course, diets don't address the whole emotional part of our lives. And what do you do when you want to handle your big, powerful, challenging emotions with food, which is a very natural biological response. And the diet's like, nope, sorry, you're out of calories today. You're just going to have to sit, sit there and suffer. Ugh. It's no wonder we feel obsessed with food. And those thoughts can be relentless. It's like, I just, I wish I could take a vacation from my head. A lot of my clients, when we go through a couple of months of working together, a lot of them say one of the best things that they get as a benefit of us working together is their their mental chatter is quiet. Like they don't question themselves in the same way. But that that mental churn and energy that we put into all of these diet thoughts and rules can be exhausting. It's like running a marathon in your brain every day. I mean, is it any wonder that by after dinner time, we're like, I'd have no willpower left. I just want all the things I could care less, bring it on. Because your brain is exhausted from all of that chatter all day. It makes so much sense. You know, I was talking to a client recently, and she was saying that she was going out to a restaurant um, in a day or two, and she expressed fear about, she was a little bit afraid to go out to eat because she didn't know what to eat. She didn't know how to handle it. And, you know, not only that, but like there would be other people around and what would they think? And, you know, when we, when we get into this space of, I don't know what to eat, I don't know when to eat, I don't know if I'm allowed to eat, it, (laughs) it can be exhausting. So it makes sense. We have nothing left at the end of the day to make positive choices. And so let's, let's talk about the biology of the brain. Like, why do we do this? So it's extremely normal for our brains, particularly female brains. I don't know what the difference is about female versus male brains that we're kind of, we tend to latch onto something and we ruminate over it. Um, (laughs) An example in my own life, not super proud to admit this, is um, my neighbors planted a hedge next to our house. And it was, okay, maybe this was the story I was telling myself, but it feels extremely true that they planted the hedge there because they just didn't like us. And, you know, I didn't feel very good when I thought that they didn't like us. And so I really came to resent this hedge. And as it grew, you know, it was, it's a hedge. And so it's not necessarily very tidy. And the neighbor didn't, you know, knock on my door and say, hey, do you mind if I trim on your side of the hedge? And so, well, let's just say over the course of months, and it's been years now, the hedge has been it's occupied more of my brain space than it really deserves to. And it's so fascinating because it's like the story in my mind. And it wasn't until I was able to, you know, somebody said to me recently, like, all thoughts are worth one point. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a great analogy of like, what if I can notice the thought about like, there's that blankety blank hedge there and those blankety blank neighbors don't like us and grow, grow, grow. What if I can be like, oh, yep, there's that thought again. Yeah, just let it come on by and let it go on through instead of like latching onto it and giving it more energy and giving it more points and building on it. What if I can just notice it and be like, yep, no big deal. I was expecting that thought every time I walk by that hedge. I will say, happy ending to the story. Now I look at the hedge and I actually kind of love it. It's kind of great. But long story short. So 
it's not your fault when your brains do this because our brains are programmed to have thoughts. Like that's what brains do. Brains have thoughts. And we tend to latch onto thoughts that feel troublesome. Like, you know, uh, I like to think of it almost like as Velcro, like they're a little bit scratchy on the outside. And so our brains kind of attach to them. And when we're trying to lose weight, you know, we, we've talked about in the past that our, our brains, the, our thoughts program our brain to indicate what's important. And when we're trying to lose weight, that the thoughts are programming into the, like the Google search engine of our brains, that these thoughts about food are important. So let's bring back lots of thoughts about food. And that amplifies the number of thoughts about food that amplifies the number of concerns about food. And so it makes sense that this is how the brain works, that we program in some thoughts about I want to lose weight and what am I going to eat? And the brain brings back more evidence of like, what am I going to eat? Is this working? And those kinds of things. And so it kind of amplifies all those thoughts. There's a fellow named Russ Harris who has written a great book called um, The Happiness Trap. And he, he discusses uh, tools called uh, from acceptance and commitment therapy, which is developed by somebody else, but he really gets into it. Um, and he's got a couple of YouTube videos. And in one of them, he talks about how like the radio in our brain. So imagine this analogy. You can go look up his YouTube videos. They're, they're great. Um, so imagine, you know, you're in um, a, a restaurant, let's say, and there's a radio, there's music playing in the background. And most of the time, you don't even notice it, like you're paying attention to the conversation with your partner, etc. Um, but then a good song comes on. <laughs> this actually reminds me, last night we were at a high school football game and um, Sweet Caroline came on. And I was like, I just have to sing this song. I mean, come on, right? When Sweet Caroline comes on, you have to sing. And my husband was thrilled by this, of course, um, when I'm singing out in the middle of, you know, the stands. But nevertheless, fortunately, my children were not around to be terribly embarrassed by me singing Sweet Caroline. But sometimes a song will come on the radio or the music in the background and your brain picks up on it. And you're like, this is great. I love this song. And you're kind of tuning into the music, etc. And then also the opposite can happen. I'm not going to name any names of songs because there definitely are some, but like sometimes there's the song that you're like, oh no, oh no, and now it's in my head. Oh, and like for three days, that song is stuck in your head. And so when that song is playing in the background, you want it to go away, but it won't. And that's, this is like the radio of our minds of like this chatter of what am I going to eat later today? When will I get to eat later today? You know, am I allowed to eat? You know, all that, that worry and that fear is like that negative song that you're like, oh no, not this song. And it gets stuck in your brain. And what we try to do, in this is using the analogy of our brain, is like we almost try to bring in a second radio to drown out the terrible song that we don't want stuck in our head. And now it's just noise, 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 noise. And it's a lot of noise in our brains. And the advice is, Try not to resist it. Like just let it come and let it go. You can't necessarily turn off the radio of the negative thoughts in your brain or the mental chatter. You can just, again, kind of go back to the idea of all thoughts are worth one point. There's um, somebody who I really respect in the weight loss industry. She said recently, she's like, you know, the difference between, 
you who's trying to lose weight and me who has successfully done that is like, we still have this, we, you and I have the same kind of mental chatter in our minds. I just don't make it a big deal. I just don't think it's a problem. I don't get attached to it. It's like going back to the analogy of Velcro. It's like her Velcro has, um, you know, either worn away or it just doesn't stick as much anymore. And so those thoughts come, but they don't stay. And so that's what we can do when we're having that chatter in their fear in our minds of what am I going to lose? What am I going to eat later today? Am I going to lose weight? We can just notice it and say, it's not a big deal. It's just going to let it come, let it go. I'm supposed to have this chatter and I'm going to allow it to be heard and then I can let it go, which is all fine and good, except when it comes to fear thoughts. Fear thoughts are, they're, they're like a special flavor of mental chatter because well, naturally, you know, the brain is wired to bring up fears. And also the brain is wired to pay a lot of attention to fearful thoughts. Why? Because that helps us stay alive. And so when you have these fears about, oh gosh, what if I'll never lose weight? What if I'm stuck this way forever? What if I try and I fail again? Oh, and what if I, what if I actually do lose the weight and then I get some unwanted attention? Or what if I lose the weight and I gain it back? And this is subtle here. So there's the fear thoughts, the general, you know, like I said, our brains are wired to pay more attention to fearful thoughts, but weight loss is sort of a special version of fear because of shame. We have so much shame because it's like, somebody once described to me, she was like, it's like my failure is out there for the world to see. It is on display. I am I am displaying my inequity in my gene size every day and everyone can see it. And so we we really internalize what those fears mean about us. It's like I am wrong. I am inadequate. I'm just not enough when I struggle with weight. And we really, we really internalize it and make it mean so much about ourselves, especially if you've lost weight and gained it back again. It's like, I thought I figured it out and I was wrong. What does that mean about me? And so when we have fears around weight loss, it makes so much sense because of that shame. So fear is just a natural biological response in our bodies. It's not a sign of being broken or weak. It is is normal. You're supposed to have it. And fear plays an important role in our lives. Fear helps us look out for danger. Fear helps us navigate potential pitfalls. Naturally, though, in this day and age, we don't often have the tiger running after us. We don't often have physical safety concerns. Definitely there are sometimes. But most of the time, our fears are, what if X happens? And while our brain feels like that is so real and so worthy of avoiding, what it does is it ends up keeping us stuck. It ends up making us play small. And, you know, I was talking to a client just the other day, and she had lost weight and regained it. And she spent a lot of time kind of in that shame cycle of the regain feeling. 
and she was coming back after having regained and she's extremely self-aware, has all the mindset tools. And it's almost like she's using her mindset tools against her because she herself, because she can notice her negative thoughts. And she's like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to lose weight for the last time. Oh, but I see that thought and I should walk it through the, the process of noticing it, normalizing it, etc. And what she's not yet doing is acknowledging the shame. And that can be so hard because it's scary. Shame wants to hide. Shame keeps us hidden in the dark of like, don't look at me. I don't want you to see how, how embarrassed, how ashamed I am of myself because I regained the weight, because I weigh this much, because we make it mean that we are wrong, that we are broken, that we are just inadequate and incomplete. And the emotional impact these fears can have is a really high toll. That shame really keeps us stuck. It keeps us playing small and it keeps us from shining our light in the world. The whole reason why we're here in this life is to be exactly you. You're literally one of a kind. And when there is only one of something, that makes it really rare. You are a rare and special gift to this world. And I believe you are here for a reason. I believe you were put here with a purpose to share exactly who you are, not try and pretend to be something you're not, not try and fit into somebody else's mold. I believe you're here to be you exactly as you are, as weird, as quirky, as sassy, whatever it is that you are, you're supposed to be you. And our shame keeps us from being ourselves. Our shame keeps us from shining exactly as we are right now. Our shame makes us feel unworthy that I can't be me yet. I can't go for that thing yet until I lose the weight. And trying to keep this podcast clean. So I'm not going to say what I want to say. But basically, my thoughts are that's a baloney. Don't listen to that. Mm, getting fired up. Okay, which is awesome. But you may be saying, Lizzie, that's, that's so great. Yay. How do I do that? Yeah, let's talk about that. How do we face that fear? How do we face that mental chatter? How do we face that shame? All right, I'm going to share with you two specific tools. And I really want to emphasize these kinds of tools are not cute. They're not fluffy. They're not for the woo-woo people. These are real emotional mental mindset tools that help you get past things that are keeping you stuck. And I say that really, I'm talking to myself like four years ago, because I was the one that was like, yeah, those tools sound great, but I'm like not actually going to do them. <laughs> Trust me, I have practiced these tools and cried and let things out, this stuff works. So tool number one is self-compassion. Self-compassion, if you're not aware, is basically what it sounds like. It's offering yourself compassion. And we're so used to beating ourselves up. We're so used to pummeling ourselves to change. And the, the science literally backs it up that that just doesn't work. Because when we beat ourselves up, we feel bad. And when you feel bad, the brain, as we know, wants to seek pleasure and avoid pain. And so when you're feeling bad, the brain wants to avoid that feeling. And it knows that foods high in sugar, salt, and fat help you feel better really quickly. So when you beat yourself up, you're not very motivated to do the actions that do help you. 
you are motivated to avoid the feelings with food. So beating yourself up literally creates worse results. Self-compassion, on the other hand, and please research this, like scientific studies have been done. Self-compassion is much more effective at long-term change than beating yourself up because it helps you acknowledge that you're human. We are all imperfect. That comes with your human card. When you, you know, got stamped here from heaven on down to, you know, being a baby, we're like, yep. And part of this, this job is you get to be imperfect. And we try and strive for perfection and we don't allow ourselves that compassion of like, yeah, part of this life is I'm going to screw it up. Part of this life is I'm going to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to, I didn't mean to, but that's part of the experience. That's part of the learning journey. And so giving yourself compassion is the key to forgiving yourself and moving forward and allowing your brain to open up to the learning process. So how do you do self-compassion? Um, you've probably heard before. It's very straightforward. It's pretty simple. It's, you know, how would you treat a friend? And a surface level exercise is you can imagine, you know, whatever you're struggling with, you know, I ate XYZ last weekend and I feel terrible, or I lost 50 pounds and I gained back 70. Whatever level of shame you're feeling, you can just imagine you're sitting across the table from a good friend at coffee and she is expressing the same feelings that you're feeling. What would you tell her? How would you treat her? How would you help her? And so that's a, that's a beautiful but surface level way to practice self-compassion. A deeper way, which I've discussed on the podcast before, and this mental exercise is so beautiful and I practice it regularly is kind of a, a little bit of an exaggeration. I, I practice it whenever there's something I'm feeling bad about. There's something I am embarrassed about, something that I wish I had done, done differently, that this is not just a one-time thing. This is a ongoing lifetime skill. And so I, what the practice is, you imagine yourself as a young person, mm, you know, pick an age somewhere between six and 11. I have a picture of me when I was, we'll go with eight years old. I played Little League T-ball baseball with the boys. It was just me and the boys. We're playing baseball and I've got my hair is like in a barrette off to the side. I'm wearing my catcher's gear because I was such a tomboy. I had no clue how to be a cute girl. I was the sporty girl getting dirty with the boys. And my dad snapped this picture of me kind of looking off into space. And so I, I picture me at that age. And so when you picture yourself, imagine almost a, a literal picture of you or a certain age when you were kind of younger and innocent and imagine what you were wearing. So you can really bring your younger self to kind of technicolor in your mind. And then imagine your younger self is feeling all of the shame, all of the feelings that you're feeling right now. She is so embarrassed that she gained the weight back. She feels so inadequate because she's tried to lose weight so many times and she just doesn't know how. She's feeling all that you're feeling right now. Give it all to her. And then you, as your adult self, how would you comfort her? What would you say to younger you to help her know she's okay? I know when I first did this mental exercise, it was the first time I told myself, I love you. 
And yeah, naturally, of course, I burst into tears because I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that I was feeling all of this. And I didn't know that I could tell myself, I love you. And I just imagined bringing little me onto my lap and giving her a hug and giving her all the space she needed to feel whatever she wanted to feel and allowing her to be a mess and telling her it's not her fault. Now, I have had some clients who struggle to have compassion for their younger self. Um, Maybe there was a trauma. Maybe they were taught when they were little that they were not okay. They were not good enough. There There can be all kinds of reasons why it might be difficult to connect with your younger self, and that is completely okay. If that happens, if that is an experience of yours, you can still try this exercise, but imagine the the younger innocent creature is perhaps an animal, like a, a, a sweet pet, um, a rescue animal that's maybe had a bit of a tough life, a tough experience, and they are so sweet on the inside, but they're a little jaded because of their experience. How would you treat this innocent creature, this innocent you know, creation of God, and how would you comfort it knowing that it's feeling all that you're feeling and it's not its fault? So that's tool number one is self-compassion. Tool number two is, as I mentioned from Russ Harris's videos, is acceptance and commitment therapy tools. So acceptance and commitment therapy was developed by um, a fellow whose name I can't remember at the moment, but he was a psychologist and um, he suffered himself from debilitating anxiety. And it got so bad, like he began to be afraid of anxiety. And so like if the fear built on itself and it just got worse and worse and worse. And so he was having, uh, you know, his nth panic attack. And at one point, like he was like, I'm literally dying. This is, I'm, I, this is it. This is the end. And his panic attack was so bad that he just gave in. And he's like, here I am dying. Look at, look at me go. And he noticed that as soon as he let go of the thoughts about how bad it was to be experiencing anxiety, and he just said, he just kind of observed it, it released a lot of the pressure, a lot of the tension. And so there's a couple of simple but beautiful tools that you can use that are all within the umbrella of acceptance and commitment therapy. Number one is identify a sentence that creates pain for you or shame. Um, for example, I'm so embarrassed that I've regained the weight. And you know, when we, when we feel totally in that thought, we're, it's called fusion, we're fused with the thought. And so you can, and I, I know I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but you can add the words, I'm having the thought, I'm so embarrassed, I regain the weight. Note, say that those words a couple of times. I'm having the thought, I'm so embarrassed that I regain the weight. I'm, I'm, I'm having the thought, I'm so embarrassed I regain the weight. And then add the words, I notice I'm having the thought, I'm so embarrassed I regain the weight. And slow it down a little bit. Lower your voice. I notice I'm having the thought, I'm so embarrassed I regain the weight. And what this does is it helps you step aside and observe the thought rather be being fused with the thought. And that takes some of the pressure away. That takes some of the temperature down and allows you, again, to kind of have access to your prefrontal cortex thinking brain where you can now rationalize a little bit more as opposed to just being in that fight or flight, anxiety, anxious, shame spiral. Um, Quickly, some other acceptance and commitment therapy tools are you can 
um, you can put it on a, a, a screen, like on your computer. Um, I'm thinking like a PowerPoint. And you can make the words like really cartoonish. And you can smush them together. You can spread them out. Um, you can sing it to a silly song like Jingle Bells or Happy Birthday. You can also imagine a silly character like Bugs Bunny or um, my favorite is Ron Burgundy is saying these words. And so like I imagine Ron Burgundy with his ridiculous mustache and he's just so egotistical and arrogant. And he's like, you know, you're so embarrassed that you lost that weight and then regained it. I think I may leave my Ron Burgundy impression at that. But you get the idea that you can make it seem silly. And so it kind of takes some of the power away. And just to kind of wrap up our discussion around acceptance and commitment therapy is our beliefs in our minds are just sentences in our brains. And sentences only have power with the meaning that we give them. And if you think about it, sentences are just a bunch of letters put together. And they don't mean anything until we give it meaning. And so the purpose of acceptance and commitment therapy is to kind of de-emphasize some of the meaning and the intensity of those words that we're saying to ourselves and just recognize this is just a thought. It's just a sentence in my brain. All thoughts are worth one point. And like I said, you know, the difference between someone who, you know, has a difficult time with all the mental chatter and someone who doesn't is they have the same amount of mental chatter. It's just that one person makes it a big deal and the other one doesn't. And before we move on, or before we kind of close out, I do want to offer another idea on fear. What if those fearful thoughts are messengers, benevolent messengers, sharing an opportunity for growth for you? Every fear is actually your biggest champion. Because think about it. Anytime something amazing has happened to you in your life, you probably were afraid right before it. You know, whether it was, um, you know, doing something adventurous like a zip line, or maybe it was doing something momentous like getting married, there's probably some fear in front of that terrifying, exciting opportunity. And so if you think about it, you know, obviously pay attention to the like literal life threatening fears. You know, if you're being chased by something, that's a different kind of fear. But most of our fears are not here to hurt us. They're opportunities, they're signals, they're invitations to bravery. And you also can make it mean something. You know, what if, what if your weight loss challenges are an opportunity for you to be stronger? What if this is just part of your hero's journey? That when one day when you have, you know, you're still struggling with some things as we all are, but you've conquered some of your weight loss challenges, you can, maybe you can help one of your children who experiences something similar. Maybe you'll have something, some compassion for someone who maybe they're not struggling with weight loss, but they're struggling with depression or anxiety or something else. Maybe your challenges with weight loss give you more perspective on someone else's experience. And maybe this is helping you. Maybe this is the thing that is preparing you to help somebody in the future. So how can you make your weight loss journey mean something deeper? Maybe it's not just this albatross around your neck. Maybe it is an opportunity to step into who you can be. Maybe it's an opportunity that God is putting in your way now so that you will be prepared to help somebody in the future. Think about how you can make your weight loss fears 
means something bigger. Every hero goes through a struggle. How can this challenge be part of your hero's journey? God puts mountains in our way so that we can rise to new heights. I remember there was a time that I was working at a job that was great in a lot of ways, but I I really gave too much of myself to it. And as you may identify with this or not, you know, sometimes when we give too much, um, we deplete ourselves. And I definitely did that. And um, to the point where I ended up in a doctor's office with heart palpitations and high blood pressure as a, you know, what I thought was a relatively healthy-ish, you know, early 40s person. And I was like, this is not, this does not make sense. This does not compute. I don't understand. And as I'm sitting in the doctor's office and they're like, so what brings you in? And I immediately burst into tears. Uh, I noticed on the chart, the assistant wrote um, acute depressive disorder. And when I saw that, I was like, that's not me. I'm like, what are they, who are they talking about? And my very next thought, whew, I'm going to get emotional here. My very next thought was um, remembering a colleague of mine who I had so much respect for, who had shared with me his journey with depression. And I felt so appreciative of him for his bravery to be vulnerable and open about his experience. And in that moment, when I was struggling, my memory of him sharing his experience with me was kind of like a a lifeline, a rope where I could hang on to. And I thought, if he can do it, I can do it too. And then my third thought, so my first thought was, that's not me. My second thought was, if he can do it, I can do it too. And my third thought was, I am going to make this mean something. I am going to share somehow, some way how I struggled and how it's okay with somebody else. And it was many months later, but many months later, we had kind of a wellness chat and I shared with my team some of the challenges I had and I tried to kind of normalize the experience that many of us were feeling. And a couple of people afterwards said like, that really helped me. Lizzie, I had no idea you were struggling in that way. And I thought like you were just, you know, handling everything just fine. And so you really helped me feel okay with what I'm feeling. And that's what I mean when I say, take this challenge, the struggle that you're experiencing with weight loss and make it mean something. I am making my challenges that I struggled with, with my body image and weight loss make mean something by helping you, by having this podcast. And so don't just sit there and be a victim and say, poor me, why is this, why is this so hard for me? Choose to be the hero of your own story. Make it mean something and know that you can help someone with your experience. You are human. You are a gorgeous piece of the divine and completely worthy as you are. And you're supposed to have fear. Use it as a catalyst. Don't let it hold you back from shining your light for who you could be. Woo, we talked about a lot today, huh? Okay, so there is a whole section in my book about managing the mental chatter of your mind. So if you've ever found yourself obsessing over food or letting the fear thoughts rule your mind, please check out my book. Just search for You Are a Miracle on Amazon. And if there's anything in this episode that has helped you, first of all, yay, win. And secondly, 
maybe you could write a review on iTunes because that could help somebody else possibly find the podcast. And then they might feel like they're maybe not so alone and it might help them shine their light a little brighter too. And before we go, remember, love yourself because your fears are here for a reason. They are benevolent messengers. They are here to help you. What if your fear is your biggest fan? It knows that you are stronger than you think and that you can handle anything it throws at you. It's here to show you just how powerful you are. Your fear knows you and it knows that it is insignificant in the face of your grace, your strength, your light. Your only job is to realize that too and to walk towards what you fear with trust and confidence. And we are all waiting for you on the other side, cheering you on along the way. All right, that's what I've got for you this week. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening today. Seriously, I know it's not a small thing and I genuinely appreciate it and I hope it helped you. Make sure you head on over to confidentbody.coach slash tips and sign up for my seven top tips for little shifts that create big results so that you can start feeling confident in your body right now. I will see you next week. And until then, remember, you are a miracle.